Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. A fellow by the name of Andrew Peterson, he wrote a novel. It's a novel that I haven't read, but uh, it's a novel that it, it's titled like this. It's On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness, which I really think is the best introduction to our study tonight. Now, I actually took this from a commentary, so I can't take credit when you go, man, that's an interesting uh, introduction. I would say yes, but it just means that I can read, and so uh, I wanted to give it to you. But as I looked around and I thought about what Ezra chapter 9 is all about, this really was the best introduction to Ezra chapter 9. So labor with me for just a moment in his novel... Peterson, on the edge of the dark sea of darkness, he says, there are nasty fangs of dang, he calls them. He says, dang is an awful place. It seems accursed, and Peterson seems to use it as an, a euphemism for the place that's under judgment. The fangs from this place called dang are described as follows. He says, the fangs walk around like humans. And in fact, they look exactly like humans, except they are greenish scales that are covered in their bodies. They have lizard-like snout with two long venomous fangs and jutted downward from their snarly mouths. Oh, he writes, and they also have tails. He says, too, the fangs stink, literally. They eat molding, decaying food. They make everything around them filthy. They are murderous. They are hateful. In the night, they steal children from their parents and make them slaves or worse. He goes on to write, the fangs of dang are awful killers. And in the story, Peterson is telling the fangs are out to capture children who somehow survived the destruction of the shining isle of Anaria. As they seek to escape the awful fangs, these children are constantly calling on the maker for help and relying on him. Well, the fangs show no regard for this maker. As we come to Ezra chapter 9 and chapter 10, we discover something very disturbing. You go, what's that, pastor? The Israelites have begun marrying the Canaanites. In order to do that, it would be like, if you will, the children from the Shining Isle marrying an actual fang of dang. You go, wow. See, unless that fang is is converted and transformed into a new creature, think about this. The only way these children would be able to cuddle up to a fang and marry it, the child would have to, now listen, the child would have to forget everything that is good, true, and beautiful and grow accustomed to the filth, stench, and cruelty of the fangs. But because these children love what is good, true, and pure, and beautiful, the very thought of marrying a fang is revolting, not to mention impossible. Your attention, please. Yes, in the novel, there's this this, this human-like-looking lizard that's called a fang, and it's dirty, and it's filthy, and it's disgusting, and it eats molding, rotting, decaying food, and it steals children. 
And in this story, what, what he's trying to do is he's trying to parallel the fact that, now listen, that none of the children growing up would ever marry a thing. Because, I mean, it just wouldn't, there's just no way. Unless it actually forgot all of the beautiful things it was taught. And so Ezra chapter 9 is a lot like that. Now, uh, before we get into Ezra chapter 9, guys, remember what we've covered so far. The book of Ezra in the Old Testament has been just amazing. Just amazing, right? It's a story. Well, a story of what? Well, it's a story of rebuilding of what? The city of Jerusalem and the temple of the living God. If you recall, that's what's going on. In chapters 1 through 6, we discover that the Jewish people went back to rebuild the temple. That was a miracle. That was something that only God can do. That was a, a beautiful miracle, so they come back, right? If you recall, the temple was destroyed when Jerusalem was invaded by Nebuchadnezzar. Under the decree of Cyrus, though, many returned to rebuild the temple and the foundation and repair its walls. That's chapter 1 through 6. Here's the problem. The temple wasn't the only thing that needed attention. Many of the returning Hebrews had, listen to me, hard hearts. You see, they had forgotten God's law. Let me say it to you this way. They had forgotten who Jesus was. And I think that can happen to us as we begin to walk and we begin to mature with God. There's a lot of times we, we, we think we're just really cruising with Jesus and sometimes we really forget the way, how it used to be. And, and you kind of go back and you go, man, I remember when I first got saved. I was so on fire. I would tell everybody about Jesus. It was amazing. And I, I held nothing back. Oh yeah, sometimes I was a little obnoxious, but it was so cool. And I would just, I was just in love with God. And then something happened. I just started to, and whatever it might be. The problem here, guys, is they had hard hearts and they had forgotten God's law. And to make matters worse, they were disregarding them in front of the people. You go, well, what's, what's a term for that? Well, you've heard a term often used as, hypocrisy. Oh, you're saying one thing and you're living another life. How oh, I'm a I'm a Hebrew but I'm living like there is no God and and they were hypocrites. And so God was about to do a work not only on the temple foundation but the hearts of the people. Well, we learned that the temple was finally finished about 20 years after the foundation was laid and just ever 4 years after the rebuilding began under the ministries of Haggai and Zechariah. Now, if you're taking note, just jot this down. You probably have it. Amen. But there's about a 58 to 60 year gap between chapter 6 and chapter 7. You can fit the book of Esther during this time. So for homework, here's what you could do. You go, okay, I've been walking with you all the way, Pastor, so I know that between chapter 6 and chapter 7, there's a 50 to 60-year break. I'm going to read the book of Esther because I'll know what happens. And then chapter 7 comes up, right? Chapter 7 comes up. Guess what happens in chapter 7? 60 years go by, God raises up Pastor Ezra, he comes on the scene, his job, okay, your attention please, we've built the foundation, Jerusalem is there, but now God raises up Pastor Ezra because he wants to build the foundation in the hearts of the people. He wants to make sure that that they are back on track on serving the Lord. Guess what? 
Ezra is about to make a 900-mile journey home. He's going back to Jerusalem. Listen, it's been, a, it's been about 150 years since Nebuchadnezzar came and took everyone captive. Well, in chapter 8, we learned that it was a journey. It was a journey back to Jerusalem. And the one thing we did last or three weeks ago, believe it or not, we applied the journey to what we call life. If you recall the parallel, if you're taking notes, the journey for Ezra is the same journey for us. You go, how so? Well, we realized that, number one, it was a journey filled with the unknown. And can we be honest? Isn't that what life is all about? It's unknown. It's unknown. The other day I was, I was flipping through Facebook and I showed one of the memories that I had posted several years ago, and it, and it reminded me of what, what Ezra is talking about. It said something like, remember, the rear view mirror in your car is a lot smaller than the windshield because, right, where we're going is, is, is far bigger than where we've been. But it's still unknown. It's still unknown. That's the beauty of how we want to understand this journey. You go, Pastor, what did you just say? Here, here's the thing. Listen. For the remaining years we have on this earth, whatever that might be, we need to look at it so super positive because God is a big God. I mean, seriously. Are, 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 we, are we the type of, it's a journey and it's unknown and I'm so scared and I don't even want to step out in the unknown and, oh, in life and, and I just, or are we going to go, you know what, I gave my life to God. He has something just so cool. He has something so big. And then you hear that voice, right? You ready? What's that voice? You got to trust me. What? You got to trust me. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust him? No, pastor, I don't. Okay, I get it. That's okay. Because Ezra's going to go, it's unknown, right? But Ezra had to trust the Lord. The second thing that we saw was that it was filled with prayer. Ezra's journey had to be filled with prayer all the way. I mean, think about it, guys. For you and I to go 900 miles, that's still a very long day, but it wasn't for them. It was a super, super long day. Why? Because they couldn't just get on an airplane and say, I'll be there tonight. I'll see you later. I got a little bit of jet lag. Why? I came from Babylon. Are you kidding me? However long it took, you know it was a journey filled with prayer, with prayer. It's at this point in our Bible study that I would smile at you and ask, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Are you talking to God every day? Does he know you? Hey, God, it's me. How's it going? Are you spending time seeking him? Are you praying his word? I say, Lord, here's the word. I just want to pray it back to you. If we're really honest, that's what goes first, doesn't it? When our lives get busy, our prayer life goes. And I think in this journey we call life, we need to be walking and talking with God. Well, number three, we learned that the journey, the journey was also a journey of humility, right? And how often we must check our own hearts because pride is that enemy. Pride. He had to walk through and he had to humble himself. And I think in life we do the same thing. It's also a journey, guys, of answered prayer, of answered prayer. As 
Ezra began to take that nine-mile journey from Babylon all the way home. God was continually answering prayers. And guys, can we be honest? Let's take a step back and let's think of all the answered prayers God gave us. Do we stand on those? Do we stand on those? I think sometimes we go, yeah, God answered prayer. And then in the next breath we go, oh, woe is me. Oh, What's going to happen next? God answers prayer in this walk. My encouragement to you guys is is jot those down. Do you have a journal? Are you writing down the things that God is doing? And I'll tell you why, because that's a great source of encouragement when, when you're feeling super bummed and you can go back and you go, you know what, what am I tripping about? God answered here, he answered here, he answered here, he answered here. And let me tell you this, sometimes the answer is no, and we should rejoice in that too. Sometimes the answer is no, and we should be like, thank you, Lord. A lot of times, we're just like kids, aren't we? We're just like kids. And so we go, I want this, God, please. And then if God says no, we go, I can't believe this. I really want it. And we throw a fit, and God's going, listen, I had something so much better. Something so much better for you. Something so much better. Guys, number five, we learned that Ezra, it was his long journey walking with God, but guess where he was going? He was going home. He was going to Jerusalem. You see, he was, he was tired of living in Babylon. He was tired of all of that. He's like, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. And so we come to verse 32 of chapter 8, and it says, So we came to Jerusalem... And we stayed there three days. You go, well, Pastor, how long was the trip? Right? Like, I know 900 miles. I mean, that's like a, what, a couple of hours on an airplane ride, give or take, right? I mean, you know, it was a four-month journey from Babylon back to Ezra. Can you imagine? I just wonder, as the closer he got to Israel, how his heart pounded, I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm going to be home. This is amazing. This is amazing. Hey, I heard the temple. I heard the temple. The foundation is built. Oh, this is great. Did you hear? Okay. I don't know if I want to camp tonight. I don't know. Come on. We're almost there. We're almost there. Let's go. And here's my exhortation to you guys. Is that how we are about heaven? The closer, the you know, you go, well, tomorrow I'm one day older. You know what? Tomorrow we're one day closer. And I don't know if I want to camp. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But pastor, I have my whole life in front of you. Amen. That's awesome. But I'm ready each day. I'm ready for the Lord to come back. Why? Because I'm ready to go home. And that's how Ezra was so excited. In, in four and a half or four months, he's ready to go home. So together, the entire group was now in the promised land. And the land promised to their ancestors. Chapter 8, we finished up there. It was a journey. And now as we come to chapter 9, if you're taking note, I'm calling this message, this condition or the condition requires confession slash repentance. The condition requires confession. Well, you said, Ben, you said repentance. Yeah, chapter 10, we're going to see a beautiful repentance, but tonight we're just going to see the Condition. And you go, well, what's the condition? 
Well, this condition requires confession. Well, what was the condition? Well, again, if you're taking note, jot this down. They were intermarrying with the Canaanites. The Canaanites. And you're throwing up your arms going, well, what is wrong with that? According to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, it says this, You shall not make marriages with them. You should not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. Why? Everybody say why. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you to destroy you suddenly. You go, what was happening? Guys, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. They began to intermarry with the Canaanites and all of the foreigners. And God's going, no, please don't do that because they're going to take your sons away from serving me. Well, this is sin, which inevitably resulted in the worshiping of other gods. We're going to see that. Now, you might go, okay, Ben, I'm, I get it. But I'm not here marrying a Canaanite. I don't plan to marry a Fang from Dang. Okay, I understand. But here's the principle I want you to grasp, guys. I want you to see the principle that mankind has fallen short of God's glory. And every one of us has sinned against a holy God. As a matter of fact, you know this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the condition. The condition is sin. The condition is something that has to be dealt with. We're all sinners. We all struggle with these things. Here's the difference. You can be a sinner who doesn't believe in Jesus, and he said you will die in your sins. Or you can be a sinner who's converted to Christ, and you will die with Jesus in your heart. But pastor, I'm still a sinner? Absolutely. But the great exchange has happened, isn't it? He came in and he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the condition. You go, well, what's the confession? Well, the confession starts in verses 5 through 15. And this is, church, this is so exciting. Why? It's, it's a very similar prayer to Daniel chapter 9 and Nehemiah chapter 9. And it's also one of the great prayers of confession in the Bible. Now, let me reel it back just a little bit. Okay, remember when I asked you how your prayer life was? You go, yeah, I just kind of didn't listen to that. But think about your prayer life. If you were to go and read and pray, you know, Daniel chapter 9 or Nehemiah chapter 9 or even Ezra chapter 9, these are great prayers to pray. And we're going to see how in just a minute. So if you're taking notes... And you know you get extra credit in heaven for taking notes, right, Joe? All right. Only in verse 6 does Pastor Ezra use personal pronouns. He'll say, I or my. But the rest of this prayer, Ezra associates himself with the guilt of his people. So let's look at, guys, let's look at the condition. You guys ready? Ezra chapter 9 
verses 1 through 4. It says, When these things were done, the leaders came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with respect to the abomination of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. These are a lot of people. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with peoples of the land. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers have been foremost in this trespass. Your attention, please. The first thing I want you to see is that Ezra was not out looking for the sin. Ezra was teaching the Bible. The leaders, through the teaching of the word of God, became convicted, and they came to him and said, hey, we got a problem. We got a problem. We're, they're, we're, we're, we've got this problem, right? He says they're, they're giving themselves to the Canaanites, and they're marrying the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Ammonites, and the Moabites, and even Egyptians are involved, and the Amorites. And so Ezra says, I've got to deal with this. It says, when these things were done, Ezra had been in Jerusalem about four and a half months when the officials came to him with the problem of mixed marriages. Now, you go, Pastor, i got a problem. I don't see, I don't understand what, I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, first and foremost, we must remember that this, guys, this was the very sin that plagued Israel before. And it's going to plague them much later. The problem is, is that they are a separated holy people. They began to intermarry. And the problem with intermarrying is that the sons and the daughters begin to worship all the foreign gods, which was idolatry. Well, idolatry was the very, very thing, guys, the very thing that what? that led him into captivity from the first place. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to illustrate it this way. Do you recall the story? Back in Numbers chapter 22, all the way through 25, Israel has come out of Egypt, and Balak, you remember him? He hired a fellow by the name of Balaam to what? To curse Israel. But every time Balaam went to curse Israel, he pronounced a blessing. Why? Because God was involved. God was there. I'm supposed to curse them, and all I do is bless them. And Balak's getting him a said, He's like, listen, I hired you to curse them, and all you're doing is blessing them. And you're just saying, yay, God. Yay, God. Here's the problem. The problem was Balaam could not curse Israel. So you know what he did? He counseled the king of Moab to send immoral women into Israel's camp. Hey, hey, king, I gotta, I gotta, come here. Listen, I am sorry, I can't curse them. Every time I go to curse them, I bless them. But I got an idea. If you were to send these women in, Israel will crack, they'll crack, they'll, 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 they'll fall for it. And they do, guys, they do. It, that plan succeeded and Israel suffered. You go, well, Pastor, what, what, what was the first thing you see? Well, 
when the people of the land, they came back, if you recall, to build what? The, the foundation. Well, now they're starting to compromise their walks. They're starting to compromise. And you go, well, what does compromise mean? Well, it means this, to accept standards that are lower than desirable. Right? To compromise is to make concessions or accommodations for someone who does not agree with a prevalent set of standards or rules. You go, okay, so tell me what's going on. Let's talk plain language, okay? Let's talk plain language. All of a sudden, you're there and your son comes up to you and he says, I'm in love. And you're like, really? With who? Well, it's a Hittite woman. Now, son, listen, I... I know you think you're in love, right? I know you want to make it Facebook official. I get it. But God, our Father, says that we're not supposed to what? We're not supposed to intermarry with them, okay? The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Mosquito Bites, the Cellulites, none of those people. We're not supposed to marry them, son. I know, but I'm in love. See my heart? I'm in love. Here's what's going to happen. This gal here has been brought up not worshiping God, but worshiping all these foreign gods. Okay? So your son says, I'm going to do it. They get married. And here's what, here's what, the, son, here's what the boy says. The boy tells his parents, come on. But mom, I'll convert her. I'll bring her to church. That's called missionary dating. You know what missionary dating is? It's like, hey, he's not saved, but I'm going to win him to Jesus. I'm going to bring him. The Bible just said, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. He is going to slowly, she's going to slowly lead you away from following me. And then you're going to worship their gods. Because it's going to happen really, really cool, right? You're going to be sitting there and you're going, sweetie, oh, right, you, we're married, this is wonderful, oh, we had the best honeymoon, and now it's time to get on with life, and so, hey, listen, you ready to go to church? Well, not today. Yeah, but listen, they're, they're waiting for us, they're waiting for us at Calvary, I mean, my parents are there, and the church is there, the church I grew up in, that's where they're waiting, yeah, you know, let, listen, you go ahead if you want to, sweetie, I'm just going to stay here. And relax. Okay, well, I'll stay with you, sweetie. And you see how it happens subtly. And before you know it, that's exactly what's happening, guys. It's compromise, it's compromise, it's compromise. The same thing happens with the girl. She comes home and she says, Daddy, I'm in love. And it's a Canaanite, it's an Egyptian. Oh, he's so strong and wonderful. And the same scenario happens over and over. Guys, here, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The Bible tells us to not be unequally yoked. Not to be unequally yoked. Because there's enough problems in marriage anyway. You go, what do you mean? You put two sinners in a house and say live together and be married, you got problems. Right? You got towel problems. You got, I mean, you got issues. You got toothpaste problems. You got 
but you add you add un, you add unequally yoked where where you're worshiping or not worshiping guys that makes it harder don't you think compromise guys to make concessions or accommodations for someone who does not agree with a set of standards or rule how does it how does it happen church it starts off real simple right do we have to go to church every sunday well the cowboys are playing at 12 do we have to go to church every you guys know what i'm talking about well see this sin is a big deal. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Look at, look at, look at what Ezra does. Look at verse three, okay? So you got it in your mind. Compromise. So Ezra says, when I heard this thing, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Look what he says. I tore my garment and my robe and I plucked out some of my hair, my head and my beard and sat down astonished. This dude was serious. I wonder what it would have been like to see Ezra go, what? You know? I'd be like, that dude's nuts. But he was so taken back, listen, by sin. Can I just tell you this? You guys ready? Jot this down. Sin will destroy you. Sin will destroy you. It wants to destroy you. Listen to me. If you're in here and you are married, sin wants to destroy your marriage. It does. And so Ezra says, man, this is... And he said, and I sat down astonished. And look at verse 4. He said, therefore, everyone who trembled at these words of God, the Israelites assembled to me because of the transgression of those who have been carried away captive. And I sat astonished till the evening, evening sacrifice. Ezra says, when I heard this thing, he said, I I mean, think about it, guys. I want you to put yourself in Ezra's sandals. He had just finished coming a 900-mile journey. He was coming, right? And, and, and he walked, and he was there, and, and it was a four-month journey from, from, Babylon, from, from Babylon over to Jerusalem. And I wonder if he said, oh, man, this is going to be so great. This is going to be so amazing. And he, and he, and he just over, I don't know, romanticized the spiritual condition of the people. He thought, man, they were there building the temple. This is going to be so cool. Man. And then what happens as he comes in and, and he finds out some completely different, other than the, cult, the culture of compromise he found, he's just going, wow, are you serious? He says, I sat down astonished, astonished. Certainly one of the reasons for his mourning, if you will, expressed in the tearing of his garment and the plucking of his beard was that Ezra remembered, guys, that the sins of idolatry and compromise that caused the tribes of Israel to be exiled before. And of course, no wonder he thought this was a big deal. Hey, guys, you're doing the same thing. We just got back. We just got back. God, please, please. This is a very big deal. Now, listen. In our culture, fast forward to 2018, Right? 
we don't, we go, it's not a big, I mean, come on, we just dismiss it. We just dismiss it, right? Well, people, they intermarry all the time. They, you know, there's a guy from lives over there or the gal from over here. We just, we don't think about it in our day and age, but the implication is huge. And you go, why? If the people intermarry with the Canaanites, that is going to lead to idolatry. And idolatry was the very thing that caused them to take them out in the first place. And of course, compromise. Their hearts were not even right. That's why Ezra was coming. And now they're moving in the wrong direction. They're moving in the wrong direction. Note with me verse 4 again, guys. This is, And everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. I sat astonished until the evening sacrifices. In my, bu- in my library, I have a book from Charles... Spurgeon, I think it's Charles Spurgeon, I'll have to make sure, but it's it's called soul winning. And in the first couple of pages, he says, when was the last time you cried for the sin of people? When was the last time it was so heavy on your heart? Not only your sin, but the sins of people around you. And, and church, listen, I get it. We, we live in an age of grace, and God is so graceful and wonderful and amazing. But we know that sin, sin kills, and I just wonder, when was the last time we wept over the sins of our friends, our coworkers, our family? We just wept, God. Hey, I'm not a martyr. I haven't cried. I want to. Lord, show me. When was the last time, guys, that we mourned over our sins? We were broken before a holy God. We sat there and we just mourned because, because again, we, we, it seems like we continue to put Jesus back on the cross. And we just, I'm good. Praise God. Lord, forgive me. Amen. And I just wonder about that, guys. And I think as a church and a community that we should be definitely aware of our sin and broken by it. And then, and only then, can be aware of the sins of others and be broken by that to pray for them. There was a community here with Ezra, guys, that were also horrified at the sin of their community. These who were marked with their respect for God's word assembled together with Ezra. I think that's so cool. As, as they gathered and they locked arms together, you had men of God coming in and saying, I'm with you. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. It was Russell Moore wrote in his blog this past week, Here's what he wrote. Check this out. What I've learned in 20 years of ministry. He says, at my ordination, an elderly deacon referenced the Bible and my wife saying, quote, son, don't ever get in the pulpit with any other book than that one. And don't and don't ever get into bed with any other woman but her. Wise counsel. Wise counsel. 
He goes on to write this in his blog, another way of putting it. He says, I kept a close watch on this heart of mine. I kept my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds because you're mine. There you go. Isn't that a cool? So, so we have, guys, the condition. We have the condition. It's sin. It's sin. And here's my heart for every one of us, including myself, guys, that we would understand this, con- this condition and we would, we would recognize it quickly in our own lives and confess that. Why would you want to dance around with sin? Why would you want to entertain that? Why would you want to go, listen, it's just a pet. It's just a pet, right? Some of us carry around our sin like the little puppies that they used to carry in the purses. I don't know those little, you know, look at, look at my purse and here's the little puppy, right? And, and that was all popular back in the day. But, but a lot of us carry the, our sins that way and it's not going to hurt anything. The problem is, is that the Bible says that sin is going to grow up and when it's full grown, it's going to bring forth death. And it starts off cute. Oh, no, look, it's not fine. It's, it's fine, not a problem. Listen, it doesn't hurt anybody. This little sin, it's not bothering anyone. Listen, just look away. Look away, it's fine. Until it rises up and kills you. We understand the condition. We understand that it's easy for us. I mean, think about it, guys. Think about sin, right? What is What is that song says? My heart is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? It's always leaving. The Bible, I mean, it's not the Bible. Um, it was... Um, uh, I can't think of it. See, that's the problem when you don't have it on your notes. You can't think of it. But um, I used it one time. Our high, our, our hearts are what? Our idol factories. So what do we do now? Well, now comes the confession. See, this has, we have to come and come to the place. See, in chapter 10, we're going to see the repentance. But here we got to have that confession. Know with me the sense of shame. Look at Ezra chapter 9, verse 5. He says, at the evening sacrifice, this is it. He says, I rose from my fasting and have torn my garment and my robe, and I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. See, Ezra knew there was a time to mourn, and he did that for a long time. He also knew there was a time to pray, and now he would begin his Prayer. So here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. Let's break down the prayer, Ezra's prayer to the Lord. If you're taking notes, this prayer is broken down into five sections. Ezra is going to acknowledge, number one, he's going to acknowledge the past sins in verse 7. He's going to acknowledge past sins. Number two, in part of his prayer, he's going to acknowledge our present deliverance, our present deliverance. And then the third, we're going to see he's going to acknowledge the present sins, Then, number four, he's going to acknowledge the deserved punishment. And then he ends the chapter with the righteousness of God. Once again, if you're taking note, verse 7, he's going to acknowledge past sins. Verse 8 and 9, present deliverance. Verse 10 and 12, he's he's going to acknowledge present sins. Verse 13 and 14, deserved punishment. And then he will end up in verse 15 with the righteousness of God. So, 
Here in verse 6 starts the prayer. The condition requires the confession. Look at verse 6. He said, and I said. Okay, so he's in an attitude of prayer. Ready? Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Do you see that? That's his first. That's how he starts off. Here's what I want you to recognize. He says, I, the only personal pronoun, am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face. Now here's to you. Now here's what he says. For our iniquities. Do you guys see that? Ezra could have easily stepped up and said, I'm not part of this. You all have sinned. And if you want God's judgment, go for it. I wash my hands at this, forget about He doesn't. He Ready? Because Ezra is called by God, he loves people. And to love people, you have to identify with people. And he says, I, I, these are my people. He said, these are my, are my iniquities. So what does he do, guys? Point number one, he's going to acknowledge the past sins. Look at verse 7. He said, since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have delivered into the hands of the kings of the land, into the sword, into captivity, to plunder, to humiliation as it is to this day. That's the first thing that he acknowledges. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because, again, remember, it's Old Testament. Jesus hasn't come. What blessing we have, guys, that our past sins are taken away. But yet, as mankind, we still continue to sin. I don't know about you. When was the last time we prayed for America and we confessed our sins in America. Well, I don't because I'm a Christian. We, as Americans, have sinned against a holy God. We can understand what Ezra's saying. We can bow down, guys, and we can pray, God, please, we are killing babies in the name of convenience. We have sinned against you, God. God, even, I mean, even in our schools today, Lord, protect our schools. Protect our schools. Ezra says, man, we, we, we are a nation. And then he acknowledges, guys, present deliverance. Look at verse 8. He says, and now, for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Here's verse 9. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Guys, do you see that? Here he's going, but you don't understand. Listen, I understand our past sense, but God has delivered us. 
God has delivered us. For a moment of grace, we have security. He says, think about this, guys. We were slaves. How many of us were slaves to sin? I was, pastor, right? And, and, and he didn't forsake us. He sent Jesus. He extended his mercy in the sight. He extended the mercy in the sight of the kings of Persia to do what, guys? To revive us, to repair the house of our God, to build its ruin, to rebuild its ruin, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Now, let me just say this to you. You guys ready? Ready? This should have never happened. Cyrus was a heathen king. He didn't know God. He didn't know the power of God. He learned the power of God, didn't he? Why? Listen, let me just say this to you. You guys ready? God is going to fight for you. God has got your back. Listen, I don't know about you. I am so tired of the enemy winning. God is so much power. He's so much, so, so much more power. Where's our deliverance? Our deliverance is on the cross of Jesus Christ. We do not have to be victims anymore. We need to be victors. We need to be, why? Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. God's going to fight for you. God's got your back. God's going to walk with you every step of the way. And every job, every class you go to, wherever it is, God's there and he's going to fight for you. Do you believe? See, here's the problem. Between our past sins and our deliverance, where do you hang out? Let me say that again. Between what we've done in the past and how we've messed up and what we did and didn't do and what we accomplished and didn't accomplish, where do we hang out? Do we hang out here going, oh, woe is me, I'm a sinner, I get it. Or are we hanging out over here where we go, God has delivered us. God, listen, that, yeah, but God, but Jesus, he died for me. Listen, he's got a plan for my life. I don't have no control. I don't have to worry about this. This is God. Pastor, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. God's going to take care of you. I don't believe it. I know I can see in your face. Do you believe it? Do you believe God's already, God has already got it tomorrow? Man, we should all go home and sleep like a baby. Don't sleep here. But we should all go home and sleep like a baby, shouldn't we? Why? Because God's already there. He's already got a huge plan. We just need to see it go. We just need it to go. But notice what Ezra does. He does something amazing. Point number three, he's going to confess or acknowledge the present sins. Look at verse 10. And now, O God, our God, what shall we say after this? What shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments. Can I get an Amen. Because we still do, don't we? Which you've commanded your servants, the prophets, saying, the land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, and with the uncleanness of the people of the lands and the abomination which have filled it from one to another with their impurity. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for sons. Do not take their daughters as sons, and never seek the peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. How important for us to confess our sins. 
our present sins. Well, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You go, whoa, 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 pastor, are we done? No, no, no. Here's what I want you to see. There are a lot of times that we confess, but we don't repent. So a lot of times we say, I'm sorry, and we think that's the end of it. Hey, I did wrong. Amen. Notice what he's saying. He's going, listen, listen. We, Lord, we need to confess this, and we need to make it right. We need to make it right. We must confess our present sins. Let me do real quick. I'm going I'm to jump into 4 and 5 real quick, but I want you to jot this down. You guys know this, but 1 John 1, 9. You guys remember that? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's he talking about there? Here's what I want you to do. Guys, when we sin against God, because we're still believers, we, we're, we're still going to heaven. But what happens is we've broken the relationship. And 1 John 1, 9, when we confess that sin, it restores the relationship back with God. And that's what we need to do. We need to constantly go, oh, Lord, I've blown it. God does not sit there. And again, this is what trips people out because every week when they sin, they know their sin and they go, hey, how many of you want to get saved again? And so they raise their hand and they get saved every week because they don't understand they're already saved, but they've simply broken the relationship. They've simply broken the relationship. And so we have to what? We have to confess, God, I've broken our relationship. I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against you. That's what Ezra does. What does he do? He acknowledges the present sense. Lord, we're, 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 here's the problem. Lord, we're intermarrying and it's going to cause idolatry and it's going to cause compromise. And I don't want Israel to be worshiping the God of Baal or the God of Ashtaroth or the God of, uh, uh, of money or mammon, if you will. I want God to worship the one true God. Number four, he acknowledges his deserved punishment. Look at verse 13. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, you have given us such a deliverance as this. Should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you have consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor? You know what he's doing? He's going, listen, what happened, we deserve. And if we do this again, we deserve this punishment. I got a question for you, okay? I'm going to ask Josh to go ahead and come on up because we want to definitely get into communion. But but here's my question. You ready? And I know you're going to go, I'm not answering. Does God punish us today? Ooh, there's a question. Does he punish us? Some people are going, no. Some people are going, I think so. I think so. If we sin willfully, you guys know what I'm talking about? If you step out, it's, it's what? It's called a transgression. It's called iniquity. If you know what's wrong, you know what? Listen, there are consequences to that sin. Everybody say consequences. But the punishment for that sin was taken where? On the cross. 
You see, back here, he's going, Lord, we deserve this punishment. You know what Jesus told us? I'm going to take that punishment for you. I'm going to take it. Listen, Tamri was there. Those of you that are going with us, you're going to see a place where, man, you could picture Jesus stretching out his hands. as they nail him to a cross. And the skull, this mountain, this ugly looking thing is behind him. Don't ever leave here without knowing that God has taken your punishment, the punishment of sin, away. Don't live there. You go, well, what happens if something bad happens? Life is going to happen. It's, there's, there's, it happens all the time. But God has taken your punishment. And then Ezra, guys, Ezra ends with the righteousness of God, number five. He says, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have left as a remnant as this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Guys, that's the most awesome place to leave You go, what do you mean? Okay, we understand sin. We know the condition. Lord, break our heart, please. I have sinned against you, God. I've blown it. I've messed up, Lord. Please help me to be be sensitive to those things that are not pleasing to you. Help me not to be putting you back on the cross. And Lord, help me to, to pray and to cry out and to fast and to intercede for people. Get it, Lord. The condition is bad. Sin separates us from you, a holy God. And Lord, in our, in our confession, we confess, God, tonight, as we get ready to partake into communion, we've, we confess, Lord, our past sins. God, we, we are a sinner. We need you. I can't make it on my own. But we rejoice in your deliverance, God. The reason we celebrate, God, the reason we celebrate communion is because you have delivered us. You have set us free. Lord, we we also tonight confess our present sins. We lay them before you, Lord. We ask you to forgive us, God, of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not clean. You're not clean. Let's come to, let's come to the altar and get clean. Let's confess those things. Let's restore the relationship. Let's walk out of here with the joy of the Lord back in our hearts. Yes, we deserve punishment, but Jesus took that and that's, I'm going to rejoice in the righteousness of God. As Josh leads us in worship, guys, those are what I would ask. That's what I would ask, that you would take a moment. You would take a moment and you'd say, God, just me and you. Just me and you. This is your night. If you feel like you need to get up here and pray, get up here and pray. If you feel like, hey, I just I just need prayer. I just need somebody to pray for me before I take communion. Whatever it is, guys. We want to rejoice in what God is doing, but we don't want to leave here the same way we came in. We want to come in. We want to leave here. Lord, just just <sighs> revived, cleansed, pure. 
And we pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God. We celebrate communion tonight, Lord, because it's the death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate it because we know one day that we're going to do this in heaven, and we believe, God. We believe that you're already there tomorrow, God. You already have our lives in your hand. We believe that we are not victims, but we are victors. We want to live victoriously. We serve a mighty God. We serve a loving God. We serve an awesome and powerful God who loves us deeply. Thank you for the book of Ezra. Father, as I extend my hands over this church, Lord, I pray that each one of us would feel the weight of your spirit, Lord, to confess our sins, to pray with each other, to love on each other, Lord, to take communion together, to be moved by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.